Hi, everyone. My name is Ayan. I'm a South Asian transgender man. When I was around four years old and discovered that I did not have biological male parts, I was very confused. Welcome to the Brown Girl Podcast. This show was created to elevate the voices and perspectives of dual identity South Asians around the world. Here we have conversations on topics and issues that impact our community, as well as share the stories of personal successes and the struggles that often go unsaid. My name is Julie George, and I'm your host. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining today's episode. It is Thanksgiving week in the U.S. when we are releasing this. So I wanted to say thank you to all the listeners. This podcast has grown so much in the last couple of months, and I am just so appreciative of you all. I hope you all have a few days to unplug from work and other obligations to spend time with family and friends and the people in your life. Um, I was contemplating taking a break from releasing this episode this week since it's a holiday, but I figured a lot of people will be flying and driving and there's there's probably going to be some downtime to listen to a podcast or two. So with that being said, we're going to jump into our episode. Today's guest is Ayan Dalal. Ayan is a South Asian transgender man. We covered a lot in this episode. We talked about Ion's upbringing, how he first discovered he didn't quite identify with the female sex assigned at birth, how he told his family members about coming out as a transgender man, um, lifestyle changes he's made to support his transition, as well as the upcoming medical uh, procedures and surgeries that he's going to be undergoing we talked about dating and relationships as well as uh, future fertility options and what that looks like for, for him in terms of having kids. And he also shares some do's and don'ts of interacting with trans people and ways we can best show our support. We are just coming off the heels of Transgender Day of Remembrance, which was on November 20th, and along with a uh, with another recent devastating deadly shooting that happened in Colorado attacking people from the LGBTQ community, and it's just also devastating and heartbreaking. I, I really appreciated getting to know Ayan and having him on the podcast. I think it's important for us to hear Ayan's story and those like him and be reminded that there's a human on the other side and they deserve the right to live and thrive in society just as anyone else does. So I hope we can all listen with an open mind and appreciate Ayan's willingness to share his journey. Thank you again. And here's Ayan. Hi, Ayan. Welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, I'm so excited to be here today. Yeah, thank you so much for being here with us today. So we are here to talk about your story of coming out as a transgender man. So why don't we start off by having you introduce yourself, introduce your background, and then tell us, you know, what your story is and when did you first discover that you didn't quite identify with being the female sex that you were assigned at birth? So yeah, hi everyone. My name is Ayan. I'm a South Asian transgender man. Um, my pronouns are he and him. A little bit about my story is that when I was around four years old and discovered that I did not have biological male parts, I was very confused. And ever since then, I have constantly been debating if I was a dude, if I was not a dude. And recent reflections uh, have 
you know, suggested that, hey, I might be a trans guy. And so there's a lot of different factors that came into my life that played a significant part about, um, you know, and that influenced me finding out or accepting. Um, so, yeah. And so when did you first tell your family and how did they respond? So let's start with your immediate family. Um, so your mom and your dad and your siblings, how did they respond when you told them? So I honestly didn't know how they were going to respond. Um, so I took them literally to a Italian restaurant, sat them down. And after we ordered, I was like, hey, guys, I uh, need to tell you something. And I just said it. Mm -hmm. And for the next 20 minutes, we had a very awkward conversation over butternut squash ravioli about how this was going to go down and what this meant uh, medically, socially, in terms of relationships. And they were very, very confused, but I could tell that they were more curious and concerned. Um, so my family's immediate response was, I guess we saw this coming. Mm -hmm. um, so my mom has always told me that, you know, ever since you were in my stuff, like in my womb, I knew that you were a boy. Like, there's no way that I, uh, that I believe that you were a girl. But then when you came out a girl, I was like, wait, what happened? And I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. My dad manifested that he had a daughter and that's what happened, unfortunately. Um, but ever since I told my mom, she's been extremely accepting of who I am. She's constantly been curious. Um, there are a lot of intimate things that my mom and I talk about now, and I've, we've grown so much closer than we ever were. With my dad, he's always been the person to support me if I was being my authentic self. And when as soon as he realizes that I'm not or feels like I'm not, he kind of like pulls me back on track and is like, what are you trying to do here? But I feel like he's just always been in love with me as a kid. Um, like he's always just been in love with when I've been confident, when I've been, you know, just myself. And whenever he doesn't see that in me, he's just like, I don't really know what's going on. So he distances himself from me. So I think like a huge... Um, like indicator that I'm not really being myself is my relationship with my dad and my brother. He's, you know, he's always just been like, yeah, I hate having a sister. I've always wanted a brother and I'm so glad you're here now. And I'm just like, all right, cool. So it's been very different approaches, but yeah, that's just been my immediate family. So how old are you now? And how old were you when you first told your family? So I'm 20 now. And I actually told my parents recently this year, but I've been out to them as non-binary since like 2018. Okay. So yeah, it's been a little bit of a while. Okay. So it sounds like your parents, you know, at, at least your mom kind of already had an inkling based on what they were observing uh, prior. So it sounds like they weren't completely blindsided by this. So can you kind of tell us, you know, what were they observing? Like if you could paint a picture for us of what you were feeling and the things that you were kind of observing about your life growing up that made you feel like, you know, I don't think I'm supposed to be a girl. So there are a lot of different things. Uh, my mom specifically started to know that I was not necessarily a woman. Um, when I was around six years old and I hated wearing dresses, I would only play with dinosaurs and cars uh, versus like the dolls and the Barbies that like, you know, stereotypical girls play with. And so I think she had an idea then. My dad's never really cared. Like, he's just like, all right, play with whatever you want to. Just don't cry. Like, it's just been very um, do, do your own thing kind of approach. Like, and I feel like that's just when it began. I never liked wearing clothes that were like too girly or too scratchy or too itchy. And then that kind of like painted a picture for my mom that, you know, maybe I'm not so typical. 
And when I came out as non-binary, there was a lot of me trying to express my masculinity through my appearance. So I got a massive haircut. I started dressing more like a guy again, um, changing my wardrobe to like that of like a masculine person's wardrobe. And so I kind of feel like she knew uh, in terms of my dating life, I've, I had already started dating girls. So she thought I was either a lesbian or like just a dude in like disguise. Oh so I feel like for her, it was a very confusing, but like expected thing that happened. So yeah. Okay, so you, you mentioned you first came out as non-binary. So can you just educate us on what the difference is, be is between being binary versus being transgender? So being non-binary is that you don't... That's okay. Yeah. Being non-binary is basically not identifying with any gender. So you don't uh, conform to being a woman or a man. Uh, being a transgender man is basically your gender aligns with being a male, uh, but your biological sex doesn't. Okay, so now you do uh, identify as a transgender male. Yeah, I do. Got it. And so how did you determine your new name, Ayan? Like, how did that come to be? Honestly, since I was like 10 years old and I've watched like Bollywood movies, I've always just wanted that name because first, it sounds really cool. Second, like, it just sounds like a really fun name, like a very strict but like sexy boy name. So I was like, oh my God, if that was me, like I would just be... You know, I'd win the game. So when I came out, I was like, for me, kind of healing that inner child was so important. I got tattoos that I wanted as a child because my inner child was never really catered to. So I was like, you know what? Here's to like the five-year-old who wanted to be Ayan. Um, and the name means like gift from God. So for me, like my courage, my strength, my resilience to go through this transition is like honestly a gift from God because I don't know where it came from. Okay. So. I was like, here's, here's a new name. Mm -hmm. So I know like in your TikTok videos, I've heard you reference this term that I hadn't heard before. So you refer to your old name as your dead name. Is that correct? Like D-E-A-D? -E yeah. Okay. So did you, do you have to legally change your name or is that still in process? This, um, that process is a very lengthy one, actually. You have to get um, a certain amount of people in power to sign those contracts for you. So provincially, it's a little bit easier than the federal one. Federally, you need like, you know, you need signatures from commissioners of affidavits, who can sign affidavits and all that stuff. And in terms of sex change, you need like letters from your physician or your family doctor, all that stuff. So it's quite a lengthy process. Yeah. So we'll definitely get to the medical part in a bit. But so so back to the family piece. So you told your immediate family, it sounds like they were pretty supportive and, you know, kind of embraced it right away. What about your extended family? Like, do you have a lot of aunts and uncles and cousins and how have they reacted to your transition? So my dad's side of the family has always been very close uh, to my immediate family. Um, my mom's side is not super duper close, but I did have the privilege of meeting them recently and they have been like beyond accepting. They are, they're just like, they're not even confused. Like they know what's happening. My mom has explained. And so immediate, like extended family on my mom's side has been taken care of. They're good to go. Um, on my dad's side, because they are so close and like very, very integrated into my family, they had a lot more opinions, uh, than just accepting. 
And then comes my parents' like friend group, which is like, they're also very, very close. I wouldn't say that they're not accepting. They just don't understand certain things that, you know, maybe hurt my feelings or are just acceptable to say or not to say. And they think that it's a very, they're supportive, but there's these comments here and there, but it's like the lack of education that basically just gets to them. So like what I told them, obviously there was a lot of backlash of their opinions. Like, how could you let this happen? And it was not directed to me. It was directed to my dad, but my dad did an extremely good job of like keeping all those negative comments away from me because he knew that like psychologically it would impact me way too much. Um, So my parents have honestly just been the gatekeepers of like extended family opinion. So to be honest, what happens, I don't really know. I don't really know what they have to say because my parents don't tell me if it's bad. They only tell me if it's good. Right. So how do you manage, you know, now that the holiday season is coming around, how do you manage the holidays and these other family functions? Like, are there there times where you just say, hey, look, I'm not, I'm just not going to go because I don't want to surround myself with that kind of unsupportive energy? Well, with Christmas and New Year, for me, it's not that big because my dad's friend group is like the friend group that we hang out bi-weekly, hang out with bi-weekly. So for, it's just like an extension. It's just like a party. It's just like a normal thing that keeps happening. Mm-hmm. In terms of Diwali, which is very, very big in my family, uh, Navratri, Diwali, these are very big occasions. Um, and in terms of Diwali, this was the first year that I bought home, like I brought home my partner, which was scary but my partner created such a great first impression that like everybody kind of just brushed over whatever they needed to think about me they were just like wow who is this new person and they were just like beyond impressed because you know phd student you know so many followers on instagram gujarati so pretty like i feel like their um focus was more on ali which is which is good for me so i don't really know what the true experience would have been like if i had just gone alone yeah yeah yeah, for sure one thing i wanted to ask you about was before we start talking about what all is involved in um medically transitioning for you can you share some of the things that you've done to feel more confident in your body. I I know I saw this in one of your videos where you talked about dietary changes you've made to lower your testosterone, um, clothing changes, haircut, etc. So can you just tell us a little bit about the lifestyle changes that you've made as part of your transition journey? Yeah, um, I think my transition journey um, for me starts when I like first had my big hair chop. Um, So I got a haircut that I felt really, really good in because I feel like that's a huge part. Like people just look at your hair and then they're just like, oh yeah, she, her, or like he, him. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, So I feel like my haircut was my biggest like, like weight off the shoulders. Um, When I started dressing more masculine, I felt a lot more like comfortable because I work out in ways that, that like men would to enunciate more like manly features, physical features. So men's clothing fit me a lot better as well because it was broader in the shoulders. It was like like looser in the thigh area because I was building and bulking muscle in those areas. Like it felt a lot good, like better on my body as well. And I feel like when I wore women's clothing, like it was way too shame being anything above a size four. And so I'd always like starve and stay hungry to stay under a size four. But logically it didn't, it didn't work for me because 
you know, when I was 14, I didn't understand that South Asian genetics do not cater to like American Eagle sizing. Like it's not catered by American Eagle sizing. Um, so that was definitely great for me. Um, in terms of dietary changes, yes, I did a lot of research based on like what kinds of like foods like hike up your testosterone levels and decrease your estrogen levels. Um, so that's a lot of like flax seeds, hemp seeds, pumpkin seeds. Honestly, I don't, I, I'd snack on seeds like a bird just to make sure my testosterone levels grow up. And then anything that like green leafy vegetables can decrease your estrogen levels, which is like kind of like trying to balance on the scale. Um, in terms of clothing and haircut, yeah, I already talked about that. In terms of like home decor, um, I think that was a huge change for me because I didn't have any like um, girly home decor things. So I felt a lot more comfortable. My candles weren't scented to be vanilla. They were like woody. So I was like, oh, cool, man cave. Yeah. Um, even like small things like perfumes, colognes, body washes, shampoos, uh, hair products, um, it just made me feel a lot more better. Like keeping my nails shorter was like better. So I, like I did all those things, even my gym clothes, my, like even the things I own, like my duffel bag, my water bottle, they're not, they, they don't resemble like that of like a feminine person. They're way more masculine. Um, so just like in my environment, always reminding me that like, Hey, regardless of what people say, you, you know who you are. Okay. So it just made me feel a lot better in my yeah. body. Yeah. And then um, can you talk about, like, I think I remember in one of your videos, you were talking about using tape, like binding tape to kind of suppress your chest, right? Yeah. So I think that's a huge part of it as well, because as like South Asian genetics, you are more curvier, like in your chest area, in your like hip area. Um, so typically what I used to do was I used to use trans tape, but I quickly realized that like, it's not super great for South Asian people because it's more for people who are less than a B cup. Um, so I resorted to wearing binders, which is basically, if you think about it, an extreme compression sports bra, but it's like extreme to the point where it doesn't, it just like flattens your silhouette um, as, as best as possible. Like you could still kind of tell, but significantly lesser. Um, so that was a huge part. Like, I don't even, I don't go anywhere without wearing my binder because it's just so disparate for me. Um, so yeah, um, trans tape, I don't really recommend unless you're going swimming, but for me, it just doesn't work. I feel like, and not to be offensive, like anybody who has a little bit more sag is like better because you can pull it back. I personally can't do that. So definitely just like going somewhere that knows what's like, knows what to recommend is pretty important. So the the trans tape now is it called is it marketed as trans tape yeah is it kind of like duct tape it's more like kt tape okay got it and then as far as the binder is that kind of like a corset you know something that just sucks everything in well yeah um it doesn't have anything to pull at in like in the back area okay so i would like more than a like yeah it's a it's a hybrid between a corset and a sports bra okay got it got it okay and then as far as medically transitioning where are you with that like have you started medical procedures or are you going to start soon yeah so i've actually been on testosterone for about a month uh, and a half now so 
Like what that process looks like for me is that I have opted to use shots. Uh, there are a couple of different options you can go with. There are patches, shots, and gels. Uh, for me, gels and patches don't really work because I'm constantly, like I have a lot of sensory issues. So constantly feeling that patch or like that icky feeling of the gel on me is not great. Another thing is like if you are using gel, it's... Um, I used to, my partner used to live with me. So being in close contact with my partner would be really problematic because if it got onto her, like I don't obviously want that happening. So being really careful. And another thing is like taking shots for me is just like proven to work a little bit better. Like I see the changes a lot better than when I was using like gels or patches. Okay. Um, all I've done medically, I have top surgery, which is a surgical procedure booked for December 14th. So that's coming very soon. Okay, so the top surgery is to remove your breasts? Yeah. And then are you going to do bottom surgery at some point? Um, yeah, so I'm probably, I'm leaning towards a phalloplasty, um, but that's probably going to happen in the next few years because you need, it's a more difficult and more like extensive procedure. You need two recommendations from physicians and all that stuff. And because it's a government sanctioned surgery, like, you know, there are a lot of like paperwork, documentation that goes to it. And they recommend at least being on testosterone for a little bit before. So you can see the full growth of like your clitoral uh, growth that's going to happen on testosterone. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then as far as the testosterone that you've been taking, is that something that you'll have to take forever or is it just for a period of time? So typically people take it forever. Um, you can definitely bring your dosage up or down depending on what you want to like coast at. Um, people sometimes do it once instead of once a week, they do it twice a week. But in your early stages, at least for the like first three years, okay. you pretty consistently want to take it every week because if you opt for every two weeks, it can have a huge like emotional, physical toll on your body. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And have you, I know you mentioned you've already started seeing some of the changes now that you've switched to the, you started doing the shots instead of the gel, right? Or was it the opposite? Yeah. Uh, so I started doing the shots instead of the gel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, have you already noticed your voice starting to lower? Yeah, I think that was uh, a huge indicator. So voice changed. I feel a lot of like muscular density. I feel like I have a lot more energy. Uh, my sex drive is like through the roof, which is really difficult being in a long distance relationship. Um, and in regards to like body hair, I've seen a lot more body hair come in. Okay. Um, it's like the first couple of months of changes that I'm going to see. And then we'll see what happens next. And then I know you mentioned your partner and your in your long distance relationship. So how do you define your sexual orientation? Uh, I identify as bisexual and I always have like since grade nine. If you break it down further, I'm like physically attracted to men and women, but romantically only attracted to women. Okay. Uh, when I say women, I mean like women presenting. If you're like non-binary, gender fluid, I'm like still attracted to that. Yeah. Okay. So um, as far as your partner, so you mentioned, is she um, cisgendered female? Yeah. Uh, no, she's uh, she's actually gender fluid. Okay. And what what is gender fluid? Gender fluid basically means having a very fluid definition of gender. Um, there's not extreme women or extreme man. There's just like somewhere that you toggle on 
the spectrum of gender, like uh, male and female. So people in the queer community usually say that it is a spectrum. You can be a little bit more man, you can be a little bit more woman, uh, or you can be non-binary, you can't be on the spectrum at all. Um, but my partner like often toggles between presenting more feminine or presenting more masculine or, yeah. Okay. And what pronouns does your partner prefer? They, she. They, she. Okay. So when you say they slash she, does that mean they're okay with either? Like she's okay with they or she? I think the more respectful thing when someone says that their pronouns are like she, they, or he, they, is to toggle between both. So you're not emphasizing one significantly more than the other. Okay. Got it. And then um, when did you guys meet? How did you guys meet? And what was that conversation like when you first started dating as far as it relates to your gender identity? Like, were you already out as a transgender male at that point? Or was that, you know, before you came out? So I was actually in another relationship when I met Allie, um, in which I was, uh, there was a lot of growing on both of our ends that needed to happen. So that relationship was not ideal. There was a lot of emphasis on her end. That was like, I'm a lesbian. So therefore, if you you are a lot more masculine presenting than I would like, and obviously that kind of eats at your self-esteem a little bit. And I'm like, you know what? I love you, but we're not like right for each other because of so-and-so reasons. And I think we should just call it quits. And we had been like kind of on and off. And in that process i met ali on qsa network's speed friending for the first time and wait speed friending man okay i've never heard of that is that kind of like speed dating except you're trying to meet friends so technically yeah exactly that's exactly what it is you're trying to meet friends um in the community qsa network is ali's organization that i am the director of operations of um so in there there's like it's basically community uh, a community that caters to queer south asian women and non-binary and trans folks. So they have an event, or like we have an event that's called Speed Friending, and it's like pretty big in February. And so we saw each other for the first time there, and I was like, wow, this is very unexpected. I don't really know what to do or say because I was like very taken aback by how beautiful she was. And so a couple of weeks passed, you know, she's still on my mind. And obviously I don't reach out first because I'm like, no, no, no. Like I just got out of something. I don't want to like jump into something. And I think like 21 days later, so exactly like three weeks later, she texted me on Instagram. She was like, hey, like, you know, I saw you at the speed branding. Like, do you want to meet up? And I was like, oh, hell yeah. Um, so we went out and honestly, as soon as I was leaving the door, I had no expectation of what was happening, like what was going to happen. Uh, we met at Hair of the Dog, which is on like at in the village. And so like, I remember just seeing her and I was like, wow, like, I don't know what's happening. I like even describing the story. I just, I can't really do it because I was just so blank. I saw her and I was like, wow, this is, uh, is exactly what I want and but I was like you know what I may be just like rebounding I'm not really thinking straight like I don't know I'm gonna like not really trust my gut instinct and then we went bar hopping and we were out till like 3 a.m everything was like everyone was sweeping around us but like we were still talking and like looking like we were just with so much to talk about yeah and when everyone was closing we were like okay I'll just like walk you home and 
in that, I don't really know what she was thinking or like, but they looked at me and I was like, okay, can I just like give you a hug? And we both, like I hugged her and it was like, so perfect I had never ever felt like so good just hugging someone and I didn't want to let go but my Uber was like downstairs so I was like oh no I really gotta go and so yeah yeah Uber just yeah but um yeah so the next day um she came over and I was working at a coffee shop at that time and she came over to my coffee shop just to get some work done but I was like staring at her the entire time and she was like staring back so I was like there's definitely something here I'm not really misreading this (laughs) and so we got each other a lot better from there on out and then in June we made it official because I was like this is definitely not rebound I'm like madly in love with you I don't know what to do about it and then in June we made it official that like yeah Okay, so you've been together for officially five-ish months. Yeah, exactly. Okay, and how did Allie's family react to uh, her dating a transgender man? So her family doesn't know that uh, we're dating, uh, but her family does know that Allie is dating uh, Ayan. No idea who Ayan is or whatever. Her mom knows, her sister knows, but her dad doesn't know. And nobody like her extended family knows as well. Okay, got it. And so you also mentioned you guys are in a long-distance relationship. So where do you live and where does Allie live? I live in Toronto, like downtown Toronto, and Allie lives in Vancouver. Okay, and then that's like how how far of a drive is that? Five-hour flight. Five-hour flight? So there's always like a three-hour time difference as well. So I'm like falling asleep by the time she gets home, so. Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense because Vancouver's right north of Seattle. Toronto is north of New York. Okay, got it. So it's like coast to coast. And then if you guys wanted to have children in the future, what would that process look like for the both of you in terms of fertility? So as of right now, um, like from the conversations we've had, uh, Ali doesn't have a brother. And so we can't really use my eggs. And after I get a hysterectomy, that won't really be, um, I'm not keeping my ovaries. So I won't have any means to have biological children. But my brother, who has been like updated about like the process and how like kids happen and all that stuff, he is like more than happy to be the sperm donor for my children. But he's like, He's like, I'm not the dad. Like, that's not happening. I'm just the uncle. So I feel like he has a very strong understanding of, like, what a sperm donor is. And um, that's just, like, the closest that I can have to biological children. So, and Allie's, like, very, very okay with that as well. So, yeah. Okay. Got it. Um, And then I know we were kind of talking about this a little earlier, but how do you address people who think that being trans is being confused? Um, Because I think that's probably the crux of why trans people face as much, you know, judgment and discrimination and misunderstanding is because a lot of people just can't understand it. You know, they can't understand how a person who is born with a vagina might identify as a man. And so how do you, you know, address that notion, you know, equating being trans to being confused? Like, how can people better understand that perspective? So it really depends on the intent of the person for me. Um, if they're asking to be like, if they're asking just to be rude, I honestly just like counter that statement with like, are you confused? Because I'm not like, okay. and then kind of just like, 
leave me alone. But if they're actually asking to be educated, I explain that like the same developmental process of gender happens at the same time, but because of so much social stigma, judgment, just like shame as like being not ident- like identifying as like your biological sex, it takes a little bit of time to kind of like, you know, get that courage get that strength to just accept it. And you have to be a lot, like you have to be very accepting of yourself as well because you could just like suppress those emotions. Like I did a lot in my teenage years Mm -hmm. um, because I was just so scared. Um, But it really just depends on the environment that people were raised in. And also just the education of like biological sex, gender are completely different things. Sometimes these can align, but sometimes they don't and that's okay. Yeah. And these are feelings that you've been having for a long time, right? I think you mentioned since you were four years old, you started feeling this way. Yeah. I think like my biggest like indicator was like, I was ready to give like cooties. I was like so excited. I was like, yeah, yeah, I can give people cooties. And then I was like, oh my God, I have to stay away from them. Why? I'm a boy. Like that doesn't make sense. And then that's when the whole thing started for me. (laughs) Yeah. I was actually reading some online journals and I had come across an interesting excerpt from a trans writer uh, who goes by the name of Lily Carollo. And she said that one of the exercises that she does to help uh, cisgendered people. uh, So when I say cisgendered, just for the audience, I mean cisgender means you're identifying with the sex that you were assigned at birth. Um, But she said that one of the exercises she does to help people expand their views is she asks, you know, if if you were to be paid, if if they were to be paid a huge sum of money, if that would get them to physically transition to the opposite gender. And most said most people said no, that they'd rather continue presenting themselves as the gender that they were born with. And so, you know, she was saying, like, if you kept poking and continued asking why, it usually comes down to people saying something along the lines of, well, because it just wouldn't feel right. It wouldn't feel natural. It wouldn't feel me. And, you know, she was saying that's kind of what it comes down to at the core. Like, it doesn't feel like you. And so, you know, that's what you have to imagine. Like, take that sense and imagine if you had been born in the opposite body today. That's actually very interesting. Yeah. (laughs) And then how about bullying? Did you experience any kind of bullying growing up for identifying as trans? Well, I wasn't out officially as trans, but all my life I've been bullied for not being a stereotypical girl. Um, That started with like me going to an extreme, like extremely cult-like Christian elementary school to then going to like an extreme cult-like Hindu school in which I was like, wow, these are just extremist points of views. Like nobody can just chill. Um, Which then led to me being in a very rigid, toxic environment of dance. Um, Like especially Indian classical dance, which in which you have to do a lot of different like girly things to be accepted. And that kind of like trickled into my later life as well, because I had been like my entire life had just been, you know, me experiencing a lot of like bullying and homophobia. Okay. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to reflect these emotions onto myself. And then I did for the longest time until I had a solid group of friends that were just like, we can calm down here now. Like everything's okay. Yeah. Like, 
Right. Tell us about some of the common, you know, do's and don'ts, like what to say, what not to say that people should be aware of when it comes to interacting with trans people. I guess like a common don't is like like stuff that bothers me a lot is when people say oh yeah you're like changing your gender now but it's never like it's not changing I've always been a man Uh, I'm changing my biological like body that was given to me through surgical procedures but like I just like putting the effort in to use the right vocabulary and being very mindful of the things you say like oh now you're a man like no I've always been a man like my body is just now going to reflect that Um, or like common do's make people feel good about like, you know, compliment them based on the gender that they want to present as. So if you see somebody who's like, I wouldn't say obviously trans, but like, if you know somebody who is trans, like I'm a trans guy, but like, sometimes I don't pass. So if somebody in my environment was like doing me the favor and going like, Hey, you look really handsome today, even though I know I don't pass, it makes me feel a lot more like accepted like hey I know your body is like not where you want it to be but I see you for who you are Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like handsome as opposed to beautiful beautiful okay got it I mean I still really like beautiful like that makes me feel like like, giddy but like handsome is just a different like type of like compliment for me like inclusive language includes like using the right pronouns like if you slip up apologize like I know a lot of trans guys or trans people are very accommodating when it comes to people like you know using your dead name or you know using the wrong pronouns but just apologize like in the moment be like I'm sorry I'm still getting used to it it's a lot better than you just being like oh my god it's so confusing like because we've been confused our entire lives like you can't take three seconds to be confused and just fix what you were like trying to say Another thing is like when people tell you your pronouns, like their pronouns, respect them. Pronouns are a huge thing that I don't see respected in today's like uh, people who are trying to be accepting because I was like, there's just like, there's just very, very little things that you can do that kind of build your relationship with somebody. And like, obviously don't tell somebody like, oh, you don't look trans. Like, okay, we're trying. Like it's a process. It's not something that just happens overnight. Um, so just, yeah, like stuff like that. Just be mindful. And honestly... It's like easier said than done, but don't base your entire opinion about somebody's gender. Like, don't make that their entire personality. Like, a lot of people talk to me right now, and they're like, oh, all you do is talk about being trans. But I'm like, yeah, because that's what I've chosen to do. And, like, that's what my advocacy stands. But when I have conversations with my friends, I don't always just keep going on about how I'm trans. Like, I talk about other things, too. So just Like, you live a regular life. I do. And I think a lot of people need to accept that, like... I do. And therefore, like, I have things to do other than talk about, like, how trans I am. So I just <laughs> they don't understand. And I'm just like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was super helpful. Thank you. Is there anything else that you want to share in terms of how we as a community can best support people who are transgender? Yeah, um, honestly, like this is pretty obvious in my opinion, but um, anybody who is trans who's looking to get surgeries or have surgical procedures, a lot of these procedures are very, very expensive, especially when they're not funded by the government after you reach a certain age. Um, So try to like help them out financially. A lot of people's families cut them out. They don't really want to have a relationship with them because again, South Asian stigma comes in. Um, If you know somebody who's trans who's been like, neglected by their family because they're trans offer like a helping hand like there is so much stuff that you can do 
especially like to children, people who are under 25, who don't have that solid backbone yet, like help them out like that. Try to accommodate for like the people who are around you. And if you are like, you know, a parent of somebody, if your kid is trans, try to, you know, be in groups of people that don't make like your kids feel gross and like disgusting for being trans have like support systems or try to find them different activities that have trans people involved um so they feel like they have a community and not just isolated mm-hmm. yeah i uh have really enjoyed watching how much you try to educate the community through tiktok so i'm curious what made you want to share your journey and open up on that platform i think my biggest like my biggest reason for why I started just like sharing my story and putting it out there was because when I was growing up, I didn't have representation like what I am today. If there is a 12 year old kid sitting like almost ready to like kill themselves, like how I was at 12 years old, I was like, I just want to hit restart. I don't want this. If any 12 year old kid, because all 12 year old kids now have TikTok, if they're like watching, I just want them to feel like there is somebody who cares. There's somebody who's always willing to listen. Anybody who reaches out to me on my platforms, I try my best to, you know, just make them feel like somebody's listening. Um, and that's honestly why I started. I started the education piece for people who are not trans, for people who are around trans people who might encounter, you know, it, like interactions with trans people and just make sure that people feel safe and like accepted in the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in order for people to be supportive and uh, to be allies, like a big part of that requires learning what it means to be transgender. And so, you know, people like yourself um, opening up and sharing what you go through and how you've kind of navigated allows people to have the opportunity to listen and learn and ask questions and learn from the perspective of someone who's actually living it, you know, and that allows, I think that can allow us to be a better support system. So, you know, thank you. Thank you for putting yourself out there and being so open to sharing your story and wanting to be that voice and face that you didn't have growing up. And last, tell us, tell us how people can, can connect with you if they want to follow and support your journey. So there are a different uh, there's there are multiple different ways that you could connect with me. Uh, I'm on TikTok, I'm on Instagram. I'm in the process of launching my own website so that there is always a safe option. You don't need to have an app. You could just literally go onto the web and try to have a conversation with me because I have a chat option there. Um, there are going to be multiple different resources that are always going to be linked on my website. If you're in Toronto, what kind of doctors are good? What type of gender affirming care is like, you know, should you look into? Um, and this isn't just for transgender men, it's for trans mask people as well. Um, there are a lot of different resources like navigating social settings or family settings or conversations that are difficult or things that you can do. Just basically whatever I have already on my TikTok and more is going to be in written format on my website so that people who don't have TikTok can still access that information. Oh, cool. And when is, do you have a timeline of when that website is going to be published? Honestly, I don't really know. I'm hoping to get it before December 14th because I'm going to be on bed rest for like a month and a half after surgery. So if not in the next two weeks, it's probably going to happen in like beginning of Feb or end of Feb. 
in the meantime, we'll link your socials uh, for TikTok and Instagram in the show notes. Well, thank you so much, Ayan. I loved having you on. I'm so thrilled that you came on the show and I'm excited to share with our listeners. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. I had a really good time speaking with you as well. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review. You can also connect with us on Instagram at thebrongirl underscore podcast and all other social media platforms listed in the show notes. Thank you again. I appreciate you being here.